That was the first time I've seen time fly. <laughs> For those of you that aren't aware of what just happened, the clock came down. <laughs> Fell off the wall. You know, that could mean two, one of two things. Either, you know what, you're taking too long, or you know what, take as long as you want. <laughs> you know, I, I count on that clock to keep me on time, but you know what, today we're just going to go until the Lord says, uh, well, you know, I'm going to put it this way. There was one pastor that says, you know, I don't ever quit. I just, gi- I just give up. I just get exhausted and f- fall down. That's how I'm done. But uh, I'm not, I'm not going to take you guys there. Today's Father's Day. We want to recognize the dads that are here. We know you have a very special celebration with your family and friends. I hope. Uh, I hope everything's not falling on you to barbecue for you to get everything ready. for. And I'm hoping that they at least honored you and said, Happy Father's Day. Amen. I mean, I, I got a text, and, uh, and, and it was, I was blessed by that. I've got several texts, by the way, from various people, and uh, I, I'm just blessed by the remembrance of people in my life. And, uh, and, and in doing so, I, I want to recognize the dads, and I want to lift up a prayer uh, for them before we get started. And I want to ask if there's any other prayer requests that we might have to be able to bring these uh, petitions up to the Lord. Anybody else? Yes. Yes, James. Okay. Well, praise God, yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll do. We'll do. All right. Uh, what's his name, Joe? Ben. Ben. Okay. I see uh, Shirley, yes. Very good. Amen. Oh, well, happy. Where am I going to ask how old he is? I, I guess we can ask a guy how old he is, right? I'm not supposed to ask him how tall he is. <laughs> oh, John, we'll keep John in prayer. Thank you. I appreciate that, uh, Shirley. Richard, just standing up. Just getting ready for the, sh- for the rapture. I saw you jump up real quick. <laughs> She just seen him. I thought he was taking off. I says, "Whoa, wait about us." <laughs> Ooh, yeah, the fellowship. We have food coming up afterward. Uh, anybody else? Anybody else? I, I do want to lift up a prayer for our brother Evan. I don't know if you guys, uh, you know, Tish, Evan and Tish. They've been coming here for uh, some time now. Evan is in Rwanda, of all places. Uh, he is. Uh, I don't know if he told you guys that, but. Uh, him and, uh, and, and his company, they're building a bridge. It's a non-GMO, it's non-government operation that they, that they go out and they just do something through their job. And, um, and I got word from him this last week, and he says, you know, it's, and one of the things we've been praying for is that, you know, God, that he finds favor in God and man. And uh, one of the things that he found that when he got there, he was the first one there, the hotel that he's staying at is the uh, hotel that a lot of missionaries use uh, to go and, and do mission work through there. So the hotel owner was a, is a Christian and, and a believer, and so they, they got to fellowship together. So praise God. Amen? Right? I don't know if you've heard of Rwanda. Rwanda has always been a, a there was a racial infighting, you know, between the, I can't, I can't remember the two clans that were fighting against each other. There was a genocide being done. Saddleback Church, I know you've heard a lot about Saddleback and things in the news, but uh, Saddleback Church, Rick Warren, adopted Rwanda, and they had the president of Rwanda come out. And uh, at Saddleback and give a speech and thank 
the churches in uh, Saddleback. But, uh, and so Rwanda has been in the news quite a bit, and now it's becoming a Christian nation, and we just thank God for what he's doing and how he's infiltrating God is in a very dark world. Amen? So let's keep our brother Evan and his family in prayer. Uh, anybody else? All right, let's pray for all our fathers. Father in heaven, first and foremost, we recognize you as the father of creation, as the father of all, all of the living, as the father of lights, as the father who art in heaven. We say, hallowed be your name. We thank you, Lord, for those that have been able to graciously call you father because of your love and your mercy. And we thank you, God, because as some have not had that relationship of a loving father, we know that we can count on you. You are not like an earthly father. We thank you for that today as we recognize all fathers in, in our vicinity, in our church, uh, people that we know. We thank you for them that uh, have, have struggled and, and try to make things work as best they can. I pray that they continue to count on you and lean on you and not on their own understanding because we know that when we do so, Father, you will give us the, the paths that we need to be straight. And Lord, it is a challenging world, the spiritual warfare that is being waged upon the whole family, starting with the fathers in this land. So Lord, we just thank you for them. And we thank you. We pray for uh, James's brother, Ben, that uh, is now in, in this place where he is being able to be helped and uh, ministered to in a way that is gonna, he's going to grow and develop, Father. We thank you for that. And I pray you use uh, James and, and others around him to, to minister to him and, and guide him in your word. We pray for Shirley and her son, John, and, and for just the need that he has in, in his employment and vehicle and all the things that are going on in his life, Father. I know that many of these things that happen are uh, cause it to, you cause these things to happen for us to, to turn to you and turn to you so that we can see that you are the answer to all our, our questions and problems in life. So we lift up to you, John, right now. I pray that as he is where he's at, sitting or walking, that he recognizes that something supernatural is happening in and around him. And Lord, we just thank you for that in advance. We, we lift up to you, uh, Evan, as well, Father. We thank you for his life and, and how he's blessed us here. And I pray that you keep him safe. Continue to find favor amongst you and amongst others around him and those that he's able to share the gospel message. I pray for his wife and uh, his family as they're at home waiting for him. And, uh, and I pray, God, you're, you continue to encourage them as well. We also pray for the rest of the team that is that has gone uh, to this place. And we pray for their families as well, especially during this day. Lord, I, we just thank you for that, for, for your protection and your love right now. And Father, just lead us this morning as we go through this portion of Scripture, as we see what Paul was dealing with, not only in Thessalonica, but in Corinth, in Ephesus, and everywhere he went. And I thank you, God, that you are so good and you have shown us these things. So lead us in all things, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everyone says... Amen and amen. All right. Let me uh, have you turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to jump into one verse and one verse only. We're going to go back and talk about a few things that we've talked about before. And then we're going to uh, uh, come back and, and, uh, and, and see the, uh, uh, the, the words of, of Paul as they were written to the church in Thessalonica. Thessalonica is uh, the city where the Thessalonians were at. Thessalonians are the people from Thessalonica, and in this, this place, is a, it, it was very uh, 
fluent, and, and, but they didn't like the fact that Paul went in there and started preaching this gospel message. And they ran him out of town, had a very short time there, as you remember. And in the, the short time that he was there, he, he just was worried about them and wrote. And so he sent, we'll find out later, he sent Timothy to go and see how they were doing. And he got a good report from them. And he just blessed God for their courage, the way they proclaimed the word, how people started to hear the gospel, and how the church grew. And the church was still under duress. There were a lot of things happening to the church itself, uh, the people in the church. There was things happening to Paul. He wanted to get there, but he couldn't. And we'll find out today that he was not able to get there because Satan, the enemy, which is all around us, was hindering him, was opposing him, was setting up roadblocks to keep him from going back to this little city, a group of believers. And so today I just want to go back and just just go a little bit of review of what we've been talking about. And in, um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and I'm just going to go back to verse, uh, let's see here, verse 17, where it says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul, we started off last week by saying that in order to be involved in the struggles that we go through life, we have to understand that we have people that are around us and people that we love and we encourage. And because people are, you know, people, we're, we're sinful people. We all sin. And uh, the problem with a lot of marriages is that, you know, there's one sinner that marries another one and they don't, can't expect it to be a perfect marriage. And a lot of times we, we try to change people into our likeness where we ought to be watching them change into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We've talked about walking in the Spirit. We've talked about imitating Paul because he imitated the life of Christ. We've talked about how we should be imitating everything we do according to what the Scripture says, who Jesus Christ was. And our problem is that we get this spiritual warfare, this spiritual attack, this, this, these things that are going on behind the scenes that infiltrate our life and cause us to war against each other. So we are in a spiritual battle. Two things that happen, C.S. Lewis, I believe, is the one that said that two things that is very detrimental to a Christian. Number one, they put too much emphasis on the spiritual warfare. Everything's a demon. Everything's attack. Everything's a devil. Everything's happening, a cold, a flu, a, whatever the case may be. Uh, people talking to you. And so they put too much emphasis on spiritual matters. I was up last night, probably about 1230, and I'm reading. And all of a sudden, a picture frame fell off my shelf. You know, just out of the blues, kind of like what the clock did this morning. So somebody would say, you know, uh, there's a demon around trying to knock things down off the walls. That Somebody would conclude that. I would say, you know what, that clock was, I saw Ken messing with it a little while ago before we got started. So I, I think he knocked it off. Himself, you, know, you know, I don't know how that picture fell off, but it did. Now, a hyper-spiritual demon person that is constantly looking at demons would say a devil did that the demons did that and they, they would automatically get, get scared now the second thing or another thing that people do that has uh, a, a lot of effect is that some people just don't believe in demons at all 
they don't believe that they even exist. Ah, eh, they don't bother me. It's just, no, it's just a, a hoax. It's a fairy tale. It's, you know, you know whatever it is. You know, it's, those are just stories that your mama told you to scare you from not going out. So th there needs to be a balance. And the best way to find a balance is to see what the Bible says about this. Because that's the first thing that Paul says here. He says, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, he says, we were torn apart from each other. And he says, you know, I, I want to be there. He says, we, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. You know, when people wanted to get close to God, they wanted to see his face. This term that Paul uses face to face is that term of, 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 of endearment where two people that are just so in love with one another, they just want to be face to face, heart to heart. Paul says, I just want to be face to face, heart to heart, in, in a sense where we want to see the face of God and not necessarily to see that he has a face to catch his uh, wrinkles and everything else, his gray hair or mustache or beard or whatever he might have. But it's more of an intent of intimacy, of getting close to God. Paul says, I, I want to see you face to face. I want to be heart to heart. I want to be able just to embrace you. This is my desire because we want it to come to you. Paul says, I again and again. And last week I shared with you 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 4. He says to them, for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart. Paul was afflicted. He was, the, his heart was just torn apart because he wanted to be there. He says, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. He said the same thing to the people in Philippi. It, it, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This was the super apostle. This was the one that a lot of people would say, to, say that he was very harsh. He was very strict. He was a legalist. And he was, he held up the truth. He didn't shrink back. We'll find out here in just a bit. He didn't hold back when truth needed to be told, he told it. When error was in the face of the people, he spoke out against it. And Paul never, ever shrank from his responsibility of declaring the truth in spite of what they had done to him, which was a lot, what they had done to him. Last week we talked about understanding and growing in God's word. And, and the reason I said growing in God's word is because we need to understand what God's word says, not only about who God is, not only about who Jesus Christ is, but also what, what the Bible says about Satan. If we're going to be getting our information from Hollywood or movies or uh, whatever the case may be, then we're, we're going in the wrong direction. Yes, you'll be afraid when a picture falls off a shelf. You will be afraid when a clock comes off the wall. You'll be afraid when you hear something, you see something, or you think you see something. And it, right away it's going to spook you. And uh, you know the, those are the things that happen. People just get scared because they have the wrong understanding of who the enemy is. Paul says, but Satan hindered us. As I said last week, the word hindered is a military term. Paul always talked in military terms. We'll see that here in just a bit. And this term hindered is the word that is used or that was used to tear up or set up roadblocks, rip up the road to prevent the enemy from coming in or to prevent the enemy from going out. And they would set up stones and boulders and just tear up everything out and, and just make it as terrible and as a as awesome, as awful as it could be, 
to, to be able to get through. And throughout, throughout Scripture and throughout, uh, throughout the, uh, uh, we, we see the various things that, that Satan has done and how he does things in, in a way that hinders people to, to move forward. <clears throat> in, in Paul's understanding of, of God's word, there are a lot of things that the scripture mentions of how the devil it just tries to get in there. For instance, uh, he, uh, the tempter came to Jesus and tempted Christ. In Matthew chapter 4, he came and he does this to every. If he, does, if he did this to Jesus, he'll do it to everyone else. The Bible says in Matthew 4, 3, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He'll say to you, if he really is God, why doesn't he provide for you bread? If he really is God, why doesn't he provide for you a better shelter, maybe some clothes or a job? Or if he really is God and you are praying for these things to happen, why doesn't he provide for you? And that's what Satan does. He opposes the gospel of Jesus Christ. In uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 19, as Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower and how the seed goes out and the seed that falls on the hard rock, he says, anyone who hears the words of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. This is what was sown along the path. There were four paths, remember, the four grounds, the hard rock, the rocky ground, the weed with the weeds, and then the good soil. The hard path is the, is the seed that falls on hard heart. And Jesus was saying it's, it's what lands on the, on the path. And the birds of the air come out and eat it up. And he says the interpretation of that is that's Satan taking away the word from your heart because the heart is not ready to receive it. The stony ground is, uh, is, is the, the, the ground that is um, shallow. It, it, does, it starts to take root, but it does not take root all the way. When the sun comes up, it scorches it because many Christians are superficial. They just come to church to hear the word and feel good, and they leave here not applying anything that's put, in to, uh, put into their life or into their, their heart by the word of God. The thorny soil is that, that soil that, uh, that people, and the interpretation of that Jesus said was that people are so wrapped up in the world and the world affairs that everything just distracts them. And so when the word of God is planted, the weeds come up and choke the word out. The, all the distractions of the world, all the worries of the world, everything just chokes out the word of God so that you don't have anything to stand on. And then, of course, the good soil is the soil that the seed fell on and it just flourished. But Satan is opposing the gospel every chance that he gets. He, you know, did you know that Satan, uh, he performs counterfeit miracles? Counterfeit miracles in, in 2 Thessalonians, we'll find chapter 2, verse 9, the coming of the lawless one, the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. Many people today, they want to attribute every sign and wonder that they see to God without testing the spirits. We are told by John to test the spirits. And not everything that, that, that comes in, in such a way is really genuinely from God. Test the spirits. And because he also counterfeits the miracles that God did. He seeks to deceive believers. In 2 Corinthians 11.3 he says, But I am afraid that as, he, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
You may have a pure devotion to Christ. You may have the, your thoughts focused on Christ. But as the serpent comes in, as in Eve, says, really, did, did God really say that? He starts putting doubt. Did God really say that you would die? Did you, if you ate of any fruit of the tree? No, he didn't say that. Her response was the wrong response. You don't communicate with Satan. You don't try to dialogue with him. You don't try to debate him because he knows how to get to you. And so that's what Satan does. He, he's, he, he seeks to deceive believers. He, he wants to lie to you because he's the father of all lies. And he'll lie to you. He'll say, God doesn't care for you. You know, I mean, why would he care for you? You're such a sinner. That is true. I mean, nobody wants, why would you go to church? Everybody's going to see that you're a hypocrite. Some people say something to the effect of, oh, I can't go into that church because the church will fall down on me. And you know, people say that, but they genuinely believe that. Not that the church will fall down on them, but something bad's going to happen. Someone's going to see right through them. Beloved, we're all sinners. Okay, we all are. None of us deserve the grace that God has given us. That's why it's called grace. Grace is undeserving. God gives it to you. He doesn't give it to you because you deserve it. He gives it to you because he is God and he wants to give it to you. He's a murderer. He's a liar. As I said a little while ago, John 8, 44 says, you are, he's talking to the Jews, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lies. Beloved, this is why it is detrimental to you as a believer not to lie. I don't care how white it is. I don't care how small that little lie is. The moment you toss one of those little lies out there, guess what? You've given Satan a foothold. Do not lie. You're speaking Satan's language. And he loves to cause you to stumble and fall. If you do, repent. I'm sorry. I lied. I shouldn't have done that. And, uh, you know, I, I, and, and avoid from having to do that. Because he, that's all he does. He'll lie to you. And he'll, he'll lie to you from other people. And he'll use you as a tool to continue to, uh, to, continue to propagate the lies in life. He attacks individual churches in Revelation 2.9. It says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, because they are from the synagogue of Satan. And he especially attacks spiritual leaders. In 1 Timothy 3.7, he says, moreover, he must, uh, a leader, an elder, must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Oh, the, the, the devil loves to get the leaders of the church and get them all mixed up and tangled up in their own affairs, in the, in the weeds, in the rocks of the, of the word, of the world. And, and he tries to get them to be tempted by every single mean that they can be tempted by. Not that everyone's tempted sexually, but most are. Uh, not, not that they're tempted by money, but most are. Not that they're tempted by fame, but most are. And that's what Satan tries to do, especially the leaders of the churches, because he wants to damage and hurt the church as much as possible. See, the New Testament reports that he was present at all the churches in Jerusalem. So Satan wants to do whatever he can to get rid of God's plan from the beginning. He did that to Adam and Eve. 
He says, okay, I messed, I messed up their plan. He did that before Noah's day. God saw that every man's heart was bent on evil, so he wiped them all out. Last one. Well, actually, Noah and his wife and his three sons and their daughter and their, their wives. Out of that, it's been an ongoing process. Jesus Christ came. He wanted to get rid of Christ from the very beginning through Herod to try to kill all the babies, try to get him to commit sin, try to get him to, and killed him. Eventually, Satan says, he's done. I finished. And lo and behold, Jesus Christ resurrected. Amen. You see, and, and I think the best way to look at Satan is through the eyes of John when he saw the revelation in Revelation 12.9. In Revelation 12.9, there's a war going on. This is in the future. There's a war going on between Michael and the demon, uh, the devil and all the angels. And Satan is thrown from heaven. He no longer has access to God as he did before. Remember when he went to go talk to God about Job, Jesus says to him, excuse me, God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? And he says, well, yeah, the only reason that he loves you and is committed to you is because you've given him everything. And God says to him, well, take away everything because that's life. And see, that tells us that everything that happens to us, yes, it's, it could be evil, but everything has to be father filtered. It has to pass through God. And now, in the future, he is tossed out of heaven. He's no longer, he no longer has access. He takes one-third of the angels with him. And John describes him as such. And the great dragon, calls him a dragon, was thrown down. The ancient serpent, who is called the devil, and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. This is why Peter says that we need to be sober-minded. We need to be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I don't know if you've ever watched those nature uh, channels where they show how a lion just kind of prowls around and he camouflages, he's camouflaged with the tall grass and the stripes that he has and his mane, how it flows with the grass and, and the weeds. And, and, and its prey very rarely notices until it's too late. And the lion is always waiting for, that, for his prey just to take his eyes off the prize. Just take his eyes off the worries of the... Just take his eyes off and then Satan pounces, the lion pounces and devours that animal. That's why we need to be sober-minded, watchful, because he's prowling around, even now. He's prowling around. Ways that Satan tries to oppose believers... Ways that Satan tries to oppose believers in your outlines. You might, you might want to see that. Well, you know, first of all, as a, ways that Satan tries to oppose believers. You know, I missed a whole bunch of verses, but, you know, I'm sorry about that. Let's, let's keep going. Ways Satan tries to oppose believers. Number one, delay. Sometimes what Satan tries to do, he tries to delay our service in God. We're trying to do something for God, and it seems like it doesn't come through. It doesn't work. It doesn't happen. And many times only because there's a delay. This is what happened to Paul. Right here, Paul is telling us, and he's telling the people in Thessalonica, he says, you know, I wanted to get to you, but Satan put up these roadblocks. He put up these, these, these barriers, and, and it was just, I couldn't get through. And what, what happens is in our service to God, it seems as though Satan just tosses in everything to get to church. Amen. How many times have you tried to get here and, you know what, man, it's just like, I can't get there. 
How many times have you committed, I'm going to be there. I'll be there tomorrow. I'll be there Sunday. And all of a sudden, you know, things come up. Life happens. How many times have you been trying to share the gospel with somebody? And for whatever reason, you just can't get there. Something comes up. Always something comes up. And they, they, this is exactly what happened to Paul. There's delays in our service to God. Number two is doubt. I talked about that a little while ago. Doubt in God. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say? And you're going to get tempted. You're going to, God, uh, Satan's going to put doubt in your mind. Did God really say that? Did he? And here's the problem, beloved. If you don't know your word, you're probably going to say, yeah, I, that was something like that. You know, it was, you know, I heard the pastor, somebody say that. It was something like that. Did God really say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? You see how subtle that lie is? He took the truth and added a, just one word. And any, no, 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 no yeah, we, we can eat, we can eat any tree. We can. Just, just this one. Oh, Satan, are you stupid? Yeah, you know what? I must be dumb. Oh, silly me. Fiddle. <laughs> I heard that word this last week. Oh, fiddle. <laughs> and, you know, I, maybe, maybe you, you're right. You're right. You know, how should I know? And then he tempts her even more so. He says, for God knows. In, in, verse, in verse 5 of chapter 3. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Our sin, our biggest sin, is we want to be in control. We want to control our own life. We want to do what we want to do. It's my life. Doesn't matter who's around. I do what I want to do. Nobody can tell me what to do, not even God. Because I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Not the way God says. God's way is boring. God's way is tough. God's way, you know what, I'm going to do it the easy way. And we want to be in control of our own life instead of following what some people call the dead letter. A bunch of rules, of do's and don'ts. And we want to make it our own journey. We want to make it our own path. And this is exactly what Satan tempted Eve with. You know, he, God knows that the moment you do that, you're going to be like him. I want to be like him. Yeah, well, just, just eat it. Come on. It's not going to be that. It's not that bad. You see how good it looks. Yeah, it looks good. Pleasing to the eye. Remember last week, satisfying to the flesh, the pride of life. You know, it's, I'm going to be like God. I'll be good. And she took and she ate. For God knows. Number three, distress in a believer's life. You know, Satan uses just problems in your life. I said last week that there are many obstacles as I was listening to a lot of the graduation ceremonies that are going on and a lot of the people came up they had problems they had distress they had obstacles that came up they had so many things that happened in these people's lives and they just overcame and you know to be honest with you I, I thank God that they were able to overcome because that's what kind of shows your character your character is not that you you are defined by what has happened to you you are defined about how you overcome because what happened to you is somewhat common Paul said this to the people in Corinth. There is no temptation that is common to man, but God is faithful. Every temptation that you've been through, every struggle, everything that you've gone through, someone else has gone through it as well. And when we wallow or just kind of be in that whole mess in the mud and, well, woe is me type of thing, then all it does is just 
continues to feed, and Satan feeds on that, and he feeds you that in this distress. And distress is going to happen. You're going to lose a job. You're going to lose a relationship. You're going to lose a loved one. You're going to get ill. Life happens. People think that life doesn't happen to us because nothing ever happens to you guys. Well, beloved, we've been through a lot. But it's how we determined to overcome that in spite of what's happened. We don't share all that stuff with everybody. Why? Just, you know, hey, Lord, just, you know, I don't need people. I mean, it's, it's fine that you want to pray for us. and Great, thank you for that. But I'm not going to fold every time something comes up. Just keep moving forward. Because distress in everyone's life happens. And Satan uses that distress once again to say, you see, God doesn't care for you. God doesn't like you. God, he only likes those that are the super people, you know, the rich and all those guys. Because stuff is happening to you, that means God doesn't love you. That was the idea. That was the theology of people's thinking in the days of Jesus. As they went into the temple, there was this man that was sitting there. He was blind. And his disciples asked Jesus, Jesus, we know you know everything. Tell us, who sinned? Was it this man that sinned or was it his father and his mother that sinned that caused him to be blind? Jesus says, neither is this man his father and mother blind, but so that the glory of God can be portrayed and shown through this man. And he healed him right there. This man was blind so that God can be glorified. Things that you're going through in life is to be able to glorify God. If you look at it in that sense, all right, Lord, I'm getting ready to glorify you. Okay, now I'm ready. You know, right now, next week, next month, next year, I'm ready. But I'm going to glorify you throughout this whole process. And people are going to be looking at you saying, why are they happy? What's going on? You know, why, why are they going through stuff? Why are they so happy all, after everything they've been through? And because you're waiting and you're doing and you're proclaiming God's glory. Doctrinal confusion is number four. Satan tries to oppose believers by throwing at you some doctrinal confusion. And in today's world, this is, the, this is the key point that we're talking about today, the spiritual warfare. The spiritual warfare is not fighting demons hand, you know, face-to-face, hand-to-hand combat. It's not literally beating up or trying to tie up or bind Satan. You cannot bind Satan. Satan's been around too long to be bound. He's got free reign. God hasn't even bound him as of yet. And you want to do something that God hasn't even done yet. I'm going to bind Satan. I'm going to bind the enemy. I'm going to, let's all pray. And bind. You can't. It's not in scripture to be binding Satan of anything. And people get this understanding and they start under, thinking that this is how it's supposed to work. And they get doctrinal error. They, they think that uh, in order to be saved, not only do you have to believe in Jesus Christ, but you also have to have uh, the, the spiritual gift of tongues or you have to have miracles or you have to have some sort of utterance or whatever the case may be. Because everybody is coming up with all kinds of stuff. Beloved, that is why you need to know your word. We, we, have, we have just celebrated uh, the completion of the fundamentals of the faith. And, uh, you know, a common theme through that whole celebration, the time that we had together to celebrate that and share with the celebration was, you know, I, I just, man, I, I really, I, I, don't, I don't know enough. I didn't get a good grasp on it. That, beloved, is the beginning of thirst and knowledge. When you come to the point where you know that you don't know, 
That's where you want to be, okay? Now, all this, man, geez. And, you know, and I, I, I was there. I, I, you know, I, I tried to share with everyone, say, look, I've been doing this for a lot of years. And the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. <laughs> and that's a good place to be because, okay, now you have this understanding. However, w- with that knowledge that you've received, you'll hear somebody say something. Oh, that's not the way. It, that's not what the Bible says. Don't ever say that's not what Pastor Sal says. Don't ever say that. That's not what the Bible says. Well, that's not what Jesus said. That's, that's not the way it's... Well, let me show you. I remember that one. And God's going to confirm your growth as you fight doctrinal error and confusion. Number five, division in the body. I think this is one of the biggest ones that Satan uses. He starts to divide the body. He starts to use classes. He starts to use people that like each other. And, and we start looking at visitors as outsiders, as those that are threatening the fellowship. You know, it's, it's just us four. Uh, us four, no more. You know, we don't want no more people. We don't want nobody else coming in. But, and, and we start dividing. And we start causing division. This is why Jesus prayed, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Right before Jesus Christ was crucified, right as the supper that he did with his disciples, the Seder, right that night he prayed, Father in heaven, just keep them as one. Keep them as one. Over three times he said, keep them as one. Keep them united. Because he knew that all of us have different personalities and our personal our personalities you know they clash and we have a lot of things that we might have uh differences on politics is one you know uh, social social justice and all this other stuff that's going on could be another but we need to not focus on those things and bring them in the church because those are the things that are dividing the church right now what we need to focus on are the things that we agree on and going through the fundamentals of the faith we said well we agree on all these things we believe that God is one. Jesus Christ is His Son. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. We believe that the Bible has no errors. We, you know, and that we went through every section of it. We believe what the, church, what the church's mission is. Number six is dependence on our own efforts. Where you attempt to do spiritual things based upon your own effort. If you can get it done yourself, then why do you need God? And so what God wants you to do are those things you yourself cannot do. When you say, I can't do this, good, God says, because uh, I want to do it through you. I don't know how. Awesome. Let me show you how. You know, I, I don't understand. That's why I'm here to give you understanding, is what the Word of God says. Double standard living, hypocrisy. Double standard living or hypocrisy. You know, putting on a mask at church. And then going home and taking it off and putting and doing being your real self. Hypocrisy. Satan directs us to worldly passions. Number eight, he directs us to worldly passions. Paul uh, John says, Do not love the world, do the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And we want to be liked. We want to have enough. We want to be satisfied. We want to, you know, fill our life with everything that the world has to offer. 
but, but people just love the world. They love what it has. They love what it offers. And they get so involved in it, either through the media. Media is a big deal. Media, social media is a huge deal in a lot of people's lives. It, it is just one of those things that consumes people and activities and things that are going on. And, and most people don't even realize the danger that we're in. Disobey God's word. P- pretty much this is everything that has, you know, all together, it all comes down to disobedience. And Satan tries to oppose us by causing us to disobey God's word. Did God really say that? Well, you know, I don't think he's going to mind if I tell a little white lie. I don't think he's going to mind if I look at this one picture. I don't think God's going to mind if I say this one thing. When God said it, Believe me, he meant it. It's not a suggestion. They're not the ten suggestions, <laughs> as uh, Laura Schlesinger used to say. They're not the ten suggestions. They're the ten commandments. The Great Commission is not a suggestion. It's a commission. We are told repentance is not if you feel like it. It is a command. Repent, Jesus said. Repent is what Peter said. Repent is what John the Baptist said. Repent Repent, repent. That's not only if you feel like it or if you can or, you know, uh, in due time. Let me go through my program first. Let me finish my 12 steps and then I'll repent. Uh, You know, let me get well equipped. No, you repent right here, right now, at this point, at this time. That's why we are told to put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand before that. Here is what happened in Romans chapter 12. Excuse me, Revelation chapter 12. We read a little while ago on how Satan was cast down, the demon, the, the deceiver, the, you know, who he is. We read that. And, and, and those that were on the earth, and this is in the future and during the tribulation, those that were on the earth were able to stand up against Satan. And here's how it was that they did so. And they have conquered him, number one, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives, even unto death. They said, you know what? Our testimony is this, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. And I know that I'm not going to be changed. I'm not taking any mark. I'm not taking any command from the Antichrist or the spiritual leaders at that time. I'm not taking anything. And whatever it is you're going to do to me, whatever it is you're going to do to me, we're going to stand here like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that were told that they had to bow before the golden idol that King Nebuchadnezzar had put up. And if they didn't bow before this idol, they were going to be thrown into the furnace. And they said together, you know, O king, uh, whatever you do to us, you can, we are not going to bow down and God is going to save us. And, and you know what? If you want to throw us into the furnace, go ahead. Our God is going to deliver us. And then they said this, and even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down to that idol. No. And so the king got mad, says, chuck them in there. He threw them in there, and there they were, standing around singing some songs. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all because of Jesus I'm alive. They must have been saying that. And, and, and there was a fourth person in there is what they noticed. And I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar was standing there thinking like this, how bizarre, how bizarre, how bizarre, how bizarre. I'm sure he was singing as well. What's going on? And these saints, the tribulation saints, they spoke the same thing. You know, God's going to save us. We have a testimony. 
And that testimony is, first of all, is the blood of the Lamb. We're saved. There's nothing that all creation can do to us. We're saved. And that's our testimony. And it doesn't matter what we do. We are standing our ground. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 6.13, therefore, do do t- therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand to withstand in the evil days. And having done all things, here's what he said, stand firm. Paul didn't say to take the full armor of God and go out and fight. He didn't say go out and start beating people up. And now that you got your helmet, your breastplate, your belt, shoes, he said you stand firm. And that's how you do it. You stand firm. Somebody lies to you, you just look them straight in the eye and say, okay. If somebody threatens you, just stand there. If things are happening around you, you stand firm. I know what I, I know. What I, know. I know what the Bible says. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 9, Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Resist him. Don't fight him. Just resist. Last week I shared with you on how we should look at the enemy, Satan. Satan's just his little yapping chihuahua. Max Anderson, that was, I couldn't remember the, the author's name. Max Anderson wrote a book, Into the Present Darkness. Uh, he, and he wrote it, that at the very beginning that he remembers the time that him and his father and his big brother went to go visit a friend. And the moment his dad opened up the gate to go to the, the, the house, this little yapping chihuahua came running out the door and just bolted right past his dad, bolted right past his brother, but came chasing after him. And, and he was on top of the car. He was screaming. He was crying. His dad picked him up. And you know, shooed the dog away and everything was okay. And he couldn't understand, why did he come after me? And the reason was, is because that young boy showed fear. He showed fear. And when you show fear, when you don't resist, when you don't stand firm, that's when Satan just keeps coming and keeps coming. You stand firm, I know what I know. I know what I believe because the Word of God says, this is what it says. Resist him. James says the same thing. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. And what does it say? Yeah. He's just a little flea. He's nothing. All you have to do is resist him. You know, James doesn't even give us a prayer to pray, a formula to to formulate. He doesn't even tell us, you know, how to stand, how to just resist him. You resist him. he's He's got no authority over you. He only has the power and authority that you give him. We give Satan the same credit that we do God. He knows everything. He's everywhere at one time. No, he's not. He's a created being. He's got demons all over the place telling him what's going on. But he can't be in all places at all times. He cannot. He, he does not know what you're thinking. He can manipulate your thinking by things that are going on around you. The things that we just said, delay, doubt, d- distress, doctrinal, uh, corruption, division, dependence, double-minded living, direct, uh, direct us to the world and disobey God's word. He uses those things to, to intimidate us. And so spiritual warfare, it's a battle. And you're either in it, well, you're in it. You're in the war. I'm just going to say you're either in it or you're not. No, you're in it. If you're a believer, you're in it. That's just to it. Just believe that and understand that, that you are in this spiritual warfare that is going on right now in the world, in your life, and in, this, in the city. And it's everywhere. How to triumph in spiritual warfare. First of all, understand that we, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 7, 
who serves as a soldier, who serves as a soldier at his own expense. Right away, Paul says, you know, we're all soldiers. He, there's that military terminology. 2 Timothy 2, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier for your messenger and minister to my needs. In uh, Philemon 1.2, Archippus, our fellow soldier. In 1 Timothy 6.12, I like this to be said of, of me when I die, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Paul says, fight the good fight. It's a fight. It's a war. It's a battle. He says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. And he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's the verse I was referring to. In Ephesians 6.10, once again, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of, of His might. Put on the full armor of God. Uh, you know, military terms. In Romans 13.12, the, the night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And in 1 Thessalonians 5.8, we'll find, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith, and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Breastplate, helmet, war, protecting the mind, protecting the heart, protecting those things. A soldier of Jesus Christ, number one, is compassionate. A soldier of Jesus Christ, number one, is compassionate. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, but since we were Torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. We've already covered that a little bit. He had a compassion. I want to see you guys. He was very compassionate. In, in first, 2 Corinthians 10, 1, uh, he says this, I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am gone. When I'm with you face to face, heart to heart, I I can be compassionate. I can see that you're struggling. I can see your sin. And I want you to stop this life of sin. But you know what? If you're going to be in error, I'm going to come at you with the truth. And the truth is going to hurt. The truth is going to hurt. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, he says, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother, taking care of her own children. Again, Paul in his gentleness, a good soldier of Jesus Christ is compassionate. When we're compassionate, there's, there's a way of waging a war, an actual physical war. When you're going up against your enemies, you may have seen this in some movies and times where you'll see that these people are fighting against each other and once they kill one enemy that's coming at them, they kill another one that's coming at them and they go to the next one and the, the poor kid, you know, he's a young man and just coward and scared and, and you know, and, and, and so the, the soldier sometimes, a lot of times, he just says, you know, he has compassion for the guy that is afraid of being where he's at. 
He doesn't know the guy. But there's always this compassion that, that seems to be on the battlefield. And uh, somebody once said that, you know, it's good to know that all these people, that, that we see these people dead. And, and it's just, you know, God, man, this is, this is atrocious. Let that be a reminder to us that we should never, ever have to resort to something like this. Now, of course, there are those bloodthirsty men that go out and just kill everything that's around them. You've heard about them as well. But a good soldier of Jesus Christ always has compassion. Number two, a good soldier of Christ is courageous. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with protecting his honor, protecting his integrity. They're saying so many bad things about him. He says, you know what? I'm going to get there. I'm going I'm to deal with these guys. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just tell them straight up. Why are you talking behind my back? You know who I am. These people have seen me. They know who I am. Number three, a soldier of Jesus Christ is competent. For though we walk in the flesh, he says in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 5, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Let's stop there for a little bit. We are in this spiritual battle. You don't have to pick up a literal sword, a shield, a helmet. All you need is the word of truth. This is the sword of the Lord. The sword of the Lord is the word of truth. All you need is truth. Because we're not fighting a battle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting a battle against you and me. If you and me have a problem... It's not really against you and me. It's behind the scenes. And we'll, we'll get into that here in just a bit. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. In other words, they're not pistols and ARs and swords and whatever, what have you, daggers. They're not, they're not weapons of the, of the flesh. But our weapons have divine power to destroy strongholds. Now, the strongholds that the enemy has were very strong, fortified cities. Sometimes this word was used as a dungeon or a prison where the enemy keeps his prey and those he has captured imprisoned. Now, let that sink in for a little bit because these minds, these strongholds are all in the mind. These strongholds are the things that people think. Paul is not talking about battling a demon face-to-face, hand combat. He's talking about ideologies, philosophies, thought processes, things that are out there, false doctrines. He's talking about, in, in, as we get into this, you'll see that, that he is, the, these divine powers to destroy these strongholds are not a literal tower, are not a literal dungeon, but it's a stronghold that people put up in their minds. The spiritual warfare that you will encounter is a battle for the mind. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody about Jesus? They just don't want anything to do with it? Or think you're crazy? You ever try to tell people, you know what, I'm going to church. Why are you going to church? Because it's Sunday. Well, it's, it's, it's been terrible all week long. Look, at, finally the sun comes out. It's a nice day. Why are you going to go to church? Yeah, well, I, I have to go because I haven't paid my tithe. And then you're going to give them money? You're going to pay your what? Yeah, by the way, beloved, you're not paying anything. You are giving. You are giving. And you're going to give them money. 
It's a beautiful day. I mean, all they're going to do is yell at you for about an hour. <laughs> and, and then, then you're going to come home and it's Father's Day. We should be out at the park. When you talk to people about your convictions, on what you're convicted on doing, it becomes a spiritual warfare. And the mind is what we're battling over. Look at this, once again. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments. And every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You see there? They're thinking, there's thoughts, there's all kinds of ideas, ideologies, and all kinds of things that people are, are talking about today that, are, that we're, we are fighting. And beloved, you are in a war now more than ever before. Father, it is your responsibility to take this battle to the next level. Don't know if you know this young lady named Jessica Tapia. Jessica Tapia is a high school teacher at Hooper Valley School. Hooper Valley is by Riverside. One day she, uh, the, she was told last summer, right before the summertime was up, they, they says, okay, well, here's the new protocol for our kids. You're a gym teacher, and uh, here's some of the things you have to be sensitive to these transgender people. I'm not going to be sensitive to that. Well, okay, you don't have, necessarily have to be sensitive, but you can't tell their parents if they're transgender, well, what, you want me to lie to them? Yeah, we'd like for you to lie to them, is what they told her. You have to, you have to lie. I can't lie to them. That's against my Christian beliefs. Well, you know what? And as a matter of fact, they says, you know, and some of these young men that think they're women, you got to let them into your gym. I'm not letting a guy come into our gym in the, no. She says, I'm not going to do that. Well, unfortunately, she lost her job. They fired her, and now she's doing a lawsuit, and she's on, I mean, you'll, you'll follow her on, on whatever news channel that you're listening to, but basically, she's, according to the news media, trying to impose her religious views on everybody else, and really what she did is she says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do this. See, there's this battle that's worn, that's worn right now. Last year, there was a, a law that was passed, and many of us don't even remember or don't even know it happened. But, you know, you cannot tell parents that their kids are transgender at the school system. And if they want to have hormone blockers or whatever, you know, this is, this is a battle for the mind. And they are allowing teachers and school boards to do these things. And they, the laws that they're passing now in California are, are all against you as parents. They, they are, they are this, this battle, this warfare that is being fought in the, in the heavenly realm, that, that it's, it's just, we're losing it as Christians. And we're afraid to stand up because we're going to lose our jobs. Or we're going to lose our respect. Or we're going to lose face. People are going to call us all kinds of names. That's basically what happened to this young lady. Somebody went into her personal Facebook account, never talked about the school, and just started to show she's a Christian. Look, she does this. She posts that. And she does all these. Look, if you don't want to get involved in this spiritual warfare, which you're already in, don't post anything about Jesus. But the moment you do, you're a target. The moment you say you're a Christian, you're a target. And these... I. This, this battle that's happening, it's a battle for the mind. 
And these weapons that we fight with are not with the hands and things. You know, it'd be easier to see somebody and shoot them or them shoot back. I mean, that's a whole lot easier. But now you're having to be careful, which you should be sober minded because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. At all, at all points and places. And these obstacles that Satan throws at us are not obstacles that are pictures falling off the wall, clocks falling off the wall, the shelves. It, that's, those aren't the obstacles. The obstacles are the, this thinking, this philosophy that is so prevalent in our nation today. They, they just passed a law here back in March that if you, as a parent, deny your child to be a transgender, they can take away your child. They'll take away, if, if you are, in, right now, the way it's set up in the system, it's set up in this adoption agency type of thing. You have to let them be uh, transgender. You cannot try to convince them that they're not. If they, if they do, or if you do, then we take that child away from you. But it's creeping into the home. The, just recently, they already said, hey, those kids aren't yours. Those are our children. We've trained them. We've raised them up. We've indoctrinated them. We have taught them. Those are our kids. They're our kids for the future. They're going to be healthy citizens to take care of us as we age. This is a spiritual warfare, brothers. And you need to be suited and booted. You need to be ready to be able to, as, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, 7, he says, be truthful by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the weapons of righteousness for the left hand. All right. This is righteous. God and, and again, Jessica Tapia, she, she has uh, this, this ability to understand scripture. She goes to uh, Jack Hibbs Church. I don't know if you know Calvary Chapel Chino. And her pastor is, you know, not only t- he's one of the most vocal pastors in the nation against this woke agenda, this transgenderism, everything else that's going on. And he is just constantly talking about how it is that Christians ought to stand up. Basically, what I'm telling you, sharing with you today, understand that this is a war. This is a war. And by sitting in the sidelines and doing nothing, you've already lost. You're being defeated. You cannot sit on the sidelines. Now, I'm not asking you to go be be an, an activist. Okay, I'm not asking you to go out and protest around the schools. I'm not asking you to vote or not vote. I'm, not ask, I'm asking you to uphold the truth when the truth needs to be told. That is our responsibility. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. We need to be ready to handle the word of truth, beloved. That's just what needs to happen. I don't, you don't need to go out and vote or try to get people to vote. I mean, if that's your thing, then that's okay. I'm not trying to tell you to go out and protest or, you know, Start whatever the case may be. Each Christian, each believer needs to stand their ground. And if it involves your workplace, you need to stand your ground there as well. Now, this high school teacher for six years was teacher of the year. Very good. She's you know, got, her, got her master's degree from California Baptist University. I mean, she's, she's well-educated, well-prepared, very good teacher. They love her. And all of a sudden, boom, you know, this comes out and this is why well, I can't do that. Oh, okay, well, you're no good no more. And not because she went out looking for it. They started it. And they are pushing it. They are shoving it down your throat. 
And they told her, well, just do like the other Christians. What do you mean? Just, just, just agree with it. Just agree with it for right now and we'll, you'll keep your job. I can't do that. You mean there's Christians in our school campus that are agreeing with this kind of stuff? Well, yeah. They're lying? Well, technically, no, but yeah. I can't do that. I won't be a part of that. Beloved, we have a responsibility to stand up for the truth. Ephesians 6, 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. There are levels. There are hierarchies. There are those that are... Uh, that are those that are the rulers, you know, like, like those that are in charge of, uh, of things on the planet against the authorities. Those are probably the politicians uh, of the present darkness, everything else that is ugly in this world of evil forces in heavenly places. All of that, all of that is part of what is going on in this world. And John says this, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That is his truth to you. That he who is in you, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, is greater than he that is in the world. The last thing I want to share with you is a soldier of Jesus Christ. We need to be conditioned. We need to be conditioned. We need to be courageous. We need to be calculating. We need to be ready. He says, be ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. He didn't say go out and start punishing. He didn't say go out and start doing. He said, just be ready. Resist. Be ready for whatever is going to come up next. Again, I'd like to say that if we continue to do it this way, we continue to fight and we continue to stand still and stand, stand firm and, and not be moved and resist. I would like to say that it would just go away, but it's not. Back in 2010, California voted that marriage is between one man and one woman. And that was it. Just one man, one woman. That was the law. It was, it was voted on, and it was, it was passed with, you know, with, 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 I forget what the vote was. I think it was 60% to 40%. And it was good. It was a good vote. Until the Supreme Court went and said, no, no, you guys don't know what you guys are talking about. It's between whoever wants to be married. And since then, it's all just gone to pots. And we continue to see that happen. Because this warfare is not going to stop until they get into the church and they change the church from within. As your pastor... My responsibility is to give you the information, and I pray that you have heard some of this stuff already, at least know some of this, and that you continue to fight the good fight. You do so in such a way that you uphold the truth. I'm not saying to go out and beat people over the head with the truth, but when it's time to and it comes up, stand your ground. And uh, for most people, you know, it's, it's going to be a tough decision. Because it's going to separate you. And they're going to call you the intolerant one. They're going to call you the bigot. They're going to call you the homophobe. They're going to call you the... You will, and I've said this, I started saying this years ago. You will eventually become the enemy of the state. Because after all these laws are passed, 
And when you want to stand your ground, you have broken the law. That's how they set it up. That's how they're setting it up. The question is, why? Why the children? Why, why are they going toward the kids? Why the children? This is not a political thing. This is not a Republican-Democrat thing. This is a demonic thing. This is something demonic and it's spiritual and it's, and it's focused on the, the young minds that have not yet been uh, fabricated or grown or, and they don't even understand what's out in the world. Yet our educators, politicians, people are trying to influence these children. See, you see, when you start thinking in that term, you start thinking about why. Why this? Well, again, it's because that's what's supposed to happen. And you might not be able to stop this whole machine that's going through, but you can at least stand up in your, in your home and in your house with your kids, your grandkids. Stand and proclaim the truth. And be ready for the opposition, because it will come. If you're doing this right, if you're doing it correctly, <laughs> it will come. They won't like it. Let me ask you to stand. I want to seriously pray. Oh, you know what? I didn't even check the clock. Oh, cool. Yeah. Perfect timing. See, I don't stop preaching. I just, I pass out. I want, I want to right now, more than ever, just lift up your dads, the fathers, the heads of household. And, uh, and I pray that as you leave this place, you understand that... We're in a spiritual warfare. It's happening. You may not see demons and devils and stuff of that nature. But now that we've biblically explained what it is that we're fighting for, the weapons that we fight with are not weapons fashioned by our hands. We do not fight in such a way. Our weapons are the weapons of prayer. God's word, the truth. So my, my prayer for you is that you come to a point where you know the truth. That not only does it set you free, but it sets your family free. The, this prayer, this, these divine weapons that we have, have power to destroy these strongholds. And Lord, we know that. We know that we can destroy strongholds with your truth. Always happens. And there's no reason to be going out and attacking every single thought and idea. But it is, it, is all, it is so important, Lord, it is the utmost importance that we stand firm as we combat these ideas. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that is raised up against you and the knowledge of you. And I pray for a, a divine presence and a divine power and a divine empowering by your spirit upon every man that is within the sound of my voice. With every person. This is a responsibility for men in their households, but it's a responsibility for every believer to be able to understand that we are tearing down these lofty opinions that are raised up against the knowledge of you. And we want to take every thought, every idea, every ideology, every philosophy, every doctrine that is incorrect, everything, and make it obedient to you to Jesus Christ. So, Father, your divine power, your divine presence, 
upon each man, every person, every woman, every child that comes to know your word. I pray that you can help them to stand firm. We know the day is coming and we need to stand firm. Father, thank you once again as you lead us through this book. Dismiss us now from this place, but never from your presence. As we go and we share this meal together to honor the fathers, I pray that uh, you bless the food that we're about to partake of, that you give us the nourishment that we need, and and nourish our fellowship as well, Lord. Help us to come to a, a place where we can grow and be one and united. And I thank you for that unity that we do have and that we do share. So, Father, we just thank you and we bless you and pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone says... Amen and amen. All right. We are on our way over to eat, have something to eat.